Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be talking about theological gaslighting. Gaslighting is a term. We'll let Wikipedia define it for us. Gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person seeks to sow seeds of doubt in the targeted individual or in members of the targeted group, making them question their own memory, perception, and sanity. So it's a repeated attempts to try to uh, get people to question their own memories, their own visualization of what's happened. Maybe you all experienced the same event and then over and over they say something different happened than what you experienced. This is gaslighting. It says the term originated from a 1938 Patrick Hamilton play, Gaslight, and its 1940 and 44 film adapt adaptations in which a character tries to make his wife believe that she has gone insane to cover his criminal activities a funny story is uh when my grandma when she was about to die you know, she was she was pretty old and she always was uh living in this house alone and she was always complaining about the smell of gas and everyone would come over i'd stay with her from time to time and and no one else would smell this gas and uh so we all thought she was just oh crazy grandma just smelling gasoline and so uh so she is always on these oxygen tanks so she she gets real old and she you know she dies and then we have uh, the house being inspected and the inspector said that there's a huge gas leak and the, the whole place could go up at any time so all this time she had been telling the truth that she had smelt gas and no one believed her. So it's kind of like a reverse gaslighting. I don't know. But in gaslighting, you get people to believe the opposite of reality through repeated manipulation. And we see theological gaslighting uh, throughout uh, the theological world. A very uh, acute, acute, a sharp example of this is I pulled down this post from a guy in one of these Facebook groups, and we're just going to go over it. I stripped the name, and I stripped the whole uh, Facebook group or any any identifying markers, so then we could talk about what is written here. And uh, you know, I didn't make it up because it's like a novel. That is, I don't know, we're probably not going to get uh, that much time to to go over all of it. We'll just see what he says. Okay, here goes. This is a post I have to make. I am forced by conscience and consideration of personal experience. I have had these discussions so many times that there are plain facts that lay beneath all the rhetoric and partiality. It is not my intent to talk about me, so I'll keep the biological information to a minimum. But again, some of this comes from personal experience, so some background information on myself is pertinent here. <laughs> okay. I have seen far too often folks that debate and debate with hyper-emotional passion that frankly have no business debating. They have no business debating these issues because they are ignorant of them. They have not read the scholarship on the other side and simply refute straw men of their own construction. Charles Spurgeon, so that's the first red flag. Uh, see, so about here, it's like, yeah, I, I get you what you're saying. Charles Spurgeon, uh-oh, had an excellent quote about arguing against a subject that we have not thoroughly studied, but I can't recall his exact wording. At any rate, we have scriptures in Proverbs 18.13 that states that only a fool answers a matter before hearing it. I repeat, if you have not studied these issues in a respectable and honest manner, then you have no business attempting to 
debate them. All right, I'll keep going. Now at times I've been attacked for my somewhat acerbic style of argumentation. When I believe it is relevant, I mention my educational credentials, never to brag, yet with the less mature opponent, this accusation will always follow such mention. I have been called condescending, arrogant, and elitist. Okay, so he's just saying, I'm a scholar, blah, 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 blah. I was raised around scholars. Fantastic. Among scholars, argumentation is to the point and often colorless. This is not intended to be insulting, nor am I intimating that one must be a scholar to understand and discuss these issues. I'm merely saying that if you cannot accurately represent an opposing position, then you need to spend more time studying and less time debating so yeah generally that's true if uh, that's called uh, the intellectual turing test if you are passable as a true believer of your opponent's beliefs that means you, you probably understand it a lot better than uh, normal people who can't they can't put themselves in that position and that's that's what we see in this this these gaslighting and these gaslighting instances where people often they can't even accurately represent the individuals that they're dealing with so i'm just going to kind of scroll down uh, so there's a lot of uh there's a lot of stuff he writes he that's like a novel he's uh, he, he probably has a high opinion of self if he's writing all this about myself and oh these are my emotions yeah i guess People making choices in the scripture disproves Calvinism. This is his first point that uh, he thinks is an amateur argument. He states, people making choices in the scripture disproves Calvinism. He's saying that this is an amateur argument. Well, that's funny, is it? Is it? Because what does Calvinism teach? That, that God decrees all things, even the intentions of the heart, even the, the actions of Satan, everything is decreed, micromanaged. And John Calvin, in his book, says no mere permission. God doesn't just merely permit something to happen. He forcibly makes it come about. This is Calvinism. So let's see what he says about that. Possibly the most callow and anti-Calvinist argumentation, it is insulting to the intelligence. <laughs> really, Calvin believed it. To think of all those giants of Reformed theology down through the centuries just couldn't see clear examples of people making choices in the scripture is ridiculous. It boggles the mind that anyone could think people making choices in a way militates against the veracity of Calvinism. This guy, he's very, very much full of himself. It is just an infantine and nascent argument of course people make choices people make very real choices do they do they uh, meticulously determined choices foreknown from before these people even existed every single action thought has been foreknown before they were even in the equation to make those choices that's not what probably any normal person any rational person would consider a choice like do robots make choices i guess i guess you could say robots make choices but really the outputs that a robot gives is based on a series of inputs their internal coding and then they give an output you could call that a choice but that's not what people are talking about when they talk about free will so in the bible when people are called to make choices god says i put before you life and death choose life do they have a choice? Or in Calvinism, does God meticulously determine all things? If the people actually have a choice, free will is true. This is gaslighting. He says that uh, this argument, 
it's it's an amateur and we should just discard it and and of course in calvinism people make choices yeah that's what we're refuting that in your system that your system allows for anything that we would identify with a choice right that it's it's not just a random number generator the random number generator doesn't have a choice uh we are just the products of our environment we're the products of god in calvinism remember john calvin no mere permission pull down calvin's institutes read what he says about that and then try to square this away with what's going on here in the bible when the biblical authors are writing about people with choices to make and god implores them begs them to choose various things do those people can those people choose god often they don't in the bible can they choose god or as calvin says that god predestines all the thoughts of the heart no mere permission that's the question it's a good question it's not an amateur argument just because you want to simultaneously hold these two conflicting beliefs that people have freedom of choice and and meticulous determinism meticulous uh knowledge of all things from time eternity this is this is fatalism we are not in the picture when our choices are made we cannot choose we are not we're not even self-determining beings all our choices are determined outside of ourselves this is not what people think when they think about choices and you're gonna argue your your argument is basically that these people had a secret system in their mind when they wrote the bible stating that you know the bible uses this language about choice but really everything's predestined everything's faded and everything must happen according to god's determined meticulously determined plan I, i'm not buying it that's that's not a good argument and and look at what he does here he says that's an amateur argument just because he's heard it so often he can't deal with it and he wants to simultaneously maintain free choice and meticulous determinism uh, he his his attempt here is to try to tell us that we're crazy for saying that their system doesn't allow for that guess what intuition trumps this people when they they come across calvinism they intuitively understand that free choices do not exist in a deterministic world we are not free we are controlled we are determined we are robots that's what intuition screams that's what why these calvinists they always come up against the exact same arguments all the time and it frustrates them because they say oh we, we gave you an answer well your answer is not convincing your answer doesn't give us any information that uh it has any coherence and just screaming that uh, it's an amateur argument is not going to convince me what he's attempting to do here is silence those people he's trying to tell them that those are amateur arguments you should be picking different arguments rather than you know the biblical authors wrote like people can choose people often reject god god's not determining everything in the biblical author's mind people have the ability to decide between alternatives to self-actualize their wants to to self-determine their desires that's throughout the bible the language there is explicit and so he is trying to theologically gaslight people you are insane you are an amateur if you're using these arguments i'm not buying it you seem like the amateur you seem like the cultist uh, like uh, our our episode on calvinism is a cult you you come to the bible with these 
these weird sets of values and just assume that everyone else, they're, they're all outsiders and, and they can't understand. Uh, Calvinists often argue for the special enlightening. But no, Calvinism is false because we can choose. Let's finish out this point here. Calvinists understand that people make choices every day. Yeah, but you got a different definition than a normal person would use. This is part of your gaslighting. You just add definitions that no one accepts, no one buys, and it shouldn't be convincing to anyone who's not already a Calvinist. We just understand that those choices are decided by the desires of the heart and the Lord nonetheless decrees all that comes to pass. Oh, God decrees all that comes to pass from before we're born, yet our desires come from our our hearts. Fantastic. Uh, not as if those aren't two contradictory statements. Do we internally, do, do our decisions come eternally from ourselves or do they come outside of ourselves? If outside of ourselves or if they come from inside of ourselves, how can they pre-exist us even existing, right? How can, let's say even if God is timeless, not all Calvinists claim that God is timeless. If God is timeless, my, our actions cannot be other than what they are. How can we be self-actualizing, making actual choices in that scenario? We cannot. We are fated. All that is known must come to pass exactly. There's no variance. We have no ability to do other than what we do. We are nothing but cogs in the system. We understand that he either decrees that men will make the wicked choices they desire or regenerate their heart, that they gain new desires. These truths are not contradictory and the scripture presents them as compatible and so should we. So yeah, what, what's he arguing here? That uh, God uh, allows people to make wicked choices? No mere permission per Calvin. And so Lord dictates and God dictates every thought of the heart, right? And he thinks that there's choice involved that somehow there there's choice here and you know you know what these guys do is they turn to the bible and they say here's our proof text for determinism and here's our proof text for church choices uh, so uh, of course they're compatible of course they work together uh, all right well how about this uh, your your deterministic proof texts don't mean what you claim they mean I went through the whole Enuma Elish, those uh, proof texts for fatalism throughout the Enuma Elish. No one thinks that in the Enuma Elish anyone was arguing anything close to Calvinism of the Babylonian pantheon, yet you find a lot of similar phrases to what Calvinists will use for their determinism. It just does, does not exist in the Bible. Uh, it's a laughable claim and no one should take it seriously. Uh, if you do want to take it seriously, uh, you probably should read the Numa Leash and then also argue that uh, the Babylonians were also Calvinists. Fantastic. You have played yourself. And let's, let's look at this uh, emotive language here. Uh, he is still trying to gaslight. Still people will stick their fingers in their ears and scream the words of Joshua. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Joshua said, choose, choose ye. Joshua, choose, choose. Calvinism is false. So he's, he's gaslighting. He's trying to do this mocking thing. Like if you use this argument, oh, then you're going to conjure up my, oh, I, we've already refuted it. We, see, we said some sort of statement. And our statement uh, means that whatever you say is not a valid argument anymore because we, we put a couple sentences together as a response. Right. Um, you haven't actually shown that that's an uh, actual valid response. And that's why people continue to say these things in spite, in spite of you stringing together a couple sentences to retort. It's always funny. It's always funny when 
Uh, this just happened in my uh, Isaiah debate in which the guy said, oh, I've already refuted that. No, no, you made a counterclaim. You strung together a bunch of sentences in which you make a claim about what the text says. You did not refute what I said. Refuting is showing why what I said is incorrect. Not saying that here's an alternative way of looking at things. That claim needs to be evaluated on its own merit. Saying that we have choices, even though everything is eternally predestined, foreknown, without us in the equation before we're ever born, uh, eternity before we're ever born, eternally in the mind of God, ungenerated knowledge, and that's compatible with uh, free choice. I am not buying it. This guy is trying to gaslight you into not making these arguments. See, see what's going on here? He sees that people, people intuitively reject Calvinism for these reasons, and he's trying to get them to be quiet by saying not only has he answered the argument, he hasn't. I haven't seen anywhere in here where he's he's explained how those two things can coexist rather than just claiming, just making a claim that these things are going to co coexist. And also, he wants everyone else to be quiet about it. He says, oh, we've refuted the argument. Stop making it. So if, uh, if you've refuted the argument, why doesn't anyone believe that you've refuted the argument? Right? Right? Uh, if you've refuted the argument, that means you have effectively countered it. And what he's trying to do is he says, oh, I'm so scholarly. I grew up with scholars. Um, mm, probably not very good scholars. You know what? I replied to this post. I said, okay, show me the scholar who, the, the secular scholar who thinks that the Bible teaches Calvinism. I don't think they exist. If they exist, someone give me one who thinks that the Bible teaches Calvinism. What a secular scholarship does is it provides a third-party standard. So gaslighting is when you're trying to make a group of people believe something other than what their eyes are telling you. And one way you could get around this is a group a group perspective. When you get outside parties as third parties who do not have a dog in the fight and are objective outside that you know not everyone is objective and and uh, not everyone has to be objective but just that third party perspective of a disinterested party in a theological dispute is a very very valuable thing and so he's quoting scholarship i would like to know what secular scholar affirms Calvinism in the Bible. So all sorts of scholars that I read, none of them believe it. They all actually believe that Israel engaged in a very similar religion to the ancient peoples around them, the ancient Assyrians, the ancient Babylonians, uh, the, they, the pantheons, the believing in the pantheons, believing in conflicts of various deities, divine warfare. This type of stuff is going on. The Ascension Psalm, it's interesting to watch or read read uh, Ascension Psalm literature talking about what is going on there. And some some scholars think that Yahweh is taking charge from El. So uh, Yahweh is not identified with El. This is what scholarship believes generally about the Bible. I don't, I don't know any secular scholar who thinks that the Bible is Calvinistic. So having that third party perspective is pretty good. You don't want just pundits. You don't want to claim people like James White as a scholar. And another interesting fact is there's there's closed theists, people who believe that, that God has omniscience of all future events. People like John Golden Gay, who write very open theistic uh, commentaries 
on, for example, the Old Testament, uh, acknowledging the fact that none of these people believed uh, that, that God had knowledge of all future events. So when we do have scholarship that is hostile to open theists, uh, sometimes they even affirm the open theist message. Remember, this is how they get around it, is a lot of people state that the Bible is progressive revelation. And so it doesn't matter what the Old Testament says about God, the attributes that are ascribed to God throughout the Bible, uh, they're, they're not as critical because we kind of know better now. And so even those people, they can more objectively objectively read the Bible to know what it says because they don't they don't have a strong desire to force it and to conform with their theology. They're more neutral parties. I suspect that the scholars that this guy is talking about are not really scholars, but pundits. You, you get pundits, people who really care about their theology, and uh, since they argue so passionately, now they're suddenly scholars. So really, I'm not, I'm not going to claim that uh, that's scholars. And that's another funny thing about the scholarship, that uh, that's part of the gaslighting. Oh, scholars, they, they side with me, right? Well, uh, that's why I asked for the secular scholars. So someone who doesn't have a dog in the fight, if they're agreeing with you, that makes your views a little bit more rational. I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. We're just going to finish this out. We're just going to stick with this one post. And uh, Calvinism makes men robots. He thinks this is an amateur argument. And then he uses a very emotive language when he, he's mocking. He's mocking the Armenian argument. So that's part of his gaslighting. So if, if you're mocking something, you you... You're trying to devalue it in the eyes of the listener. He's saying that you are absurd, and if you're making this argument, I am laughing at you. This is what Calvinists do. Uh, if you ever interact with them, especially on Facebook, there's a little laugh react. They'll use that often in, in lieu of making an actual argument. That is gaslighting. They have to do this because they are a cult. They are a cult. They don't have actual arguments for their beliefs, and so the only way that they could proselytize is by mocking and showing this fake superiority. It's not. It's not there. Let's see what he says here. This absurd chestnut is so often repeated that I believe many anti-Calvinists mumble it in their sleep. So look at the emotive language there. He's uh, devaluing the people he interacts with, part of gaslighting. If you believe these things, if you make these arguments, you're part of this subset of humanity that's laughable and absurd and amateur. That's what he really wants to say. The assertion here is that on Calvinism, men have no freedom and simply are predestined to do whatever they do and thus cannot be fairly held accountable for their actions. Well, well, people can be held accountable, but that is super unjust if, if this is the system. That is criminally unjust. This, of course, is a Jijun Strawman. Look at the language that this guy is using. Who is this written for? It's written for self-aggrandizing. It's like, oh, look at me. I am so great. I, I'm just the best in the world. And all you people who disagree with me, you are so low below me. I'm a scholar. Look, I say Jijun. Jijun Strawman. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> we Calvinists simply believe what Scripture says when it informs us that men only desire to do that which is wicked. I think you're misreading those verses. Uh, you're talking about scholarship. What does Walter Brueggemann say about your verses? If King David says something that I was born in sin, you take that and you apply that to all men. Is is that valid way to read the Bible? Any literature, if someone makes a personal statement to just generalize it to everyone, uh, it's 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 all. It's real bad to the Bible. 
You're doing great damage to the text of the Bible, and it's not valid theology. You really want your theology to be true, so you prove texts. And I've showed this in debate after debate. These people do not know the context of their own proof text. They, they grab a little verse. They don't know what it's saying. They don't know the context, who's talking, who they're, they're talking to, and what it means, what it's communicating to the audience. They do not care. They care zero about their own proof text. They just want a proof text to make a point. This has been illustrated time and time again. The Isaiah debate was funny. The guy that I'm interacting with had never thought about, for example, that God doesn't declare things in secret. There's no secret overall declaration of all things that ever existed. God explicitly argues against this throughout the text. There's no universal decree to no one out in infinite space. God says things to people so that they could understand that when God does something, it's God who does it. This is not everything. God's not doing everything that ever existed, but only those things he specifically declares to people for the purpose of those people knowing that's God that is acting. Number three, God doesn't force anyone to love him. Forced love isn't real love. He wants to say it's amateur to make this statement. Okay, we don't teach forced love. When the Lord takes away our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, giving us the grace to see him as he is, we freely choose to love him. Really? Really? Can can someone choose not to love him? Is, is that actually a free choice? Oh, you, you, you don't you don't think that. You think that, as John Calvin did, because John Calvin had uh, converts to Calvinism fall away, that these were false converts, that they, they never really were truly saved in the first place, because once you become regenerated, you cannot fall away. Part of his doctrine of preservation of the saints. So you do not believe it. Yeah, this is this is again a redefinition of what love is. He's gaslighting again, saying, "Hey, we look, we believe in love. Yeah, but your definition of love is not the normal definition of love that uh, normal people would use. You're you're trying to redefine words. The Calvinist Dictionary. I got an entire article on the Calvinist Dictionary, which all these words, predestination, foreknowledge, election." All of these things are redefined to fit their theology usages, which are not supported by the text, a predestination in the Bible. Where in the Bible do we get the definition that Calvinists use? Where in ancient literature is this word used with their definition? It is used elsewhere in ancient literature. Where does it mean what they want it to mean? their predestination. Anyways, uh, I'm not going to read the rest of this. This is a long rambling post and we're already pretty long. But theological gaslighting is trying to trick people, to emotionally manipulate people into thinking they are crazy, that they're just not understanding. They say, oh, we've answered all these things. We've answered the conflict between choice and predestination. No, you haven't. You've made a claim, a claim that is should be rejected on face value because it's not a rational claim. You're holding conflicting a, a beliefs. And it seems to me from this post, he's experiencing a lot of internal conflict, a lot of cognitive dissonance, where his mind is struggling with the, the reality of his conflicting beliefs, so much so that he lashes out and tries to gaslight others. His false sense of superiority, uh, even though he's very amateurish and childish, and he doesn't understand scholarship. He just thinks whoever he's read is a scholar. Apparently, Charles Spurgeon is a scholar. I wouldn't consider Charles Spurgeon a scholar. He is a pundit. John Calvin? I'd consider John Calvin a scholar. John Calvin says no mere permission. Anyways, if you have any questions, comments, put that below. Thank you for listening.